Let's go to the Bible. If you found Mark chapter 8, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 8. If you happen to have not brought a Bible today, you probably can pull it up on your device. We'll have it on the screens. It'll just be important that you can, can see what is, where is that preacher getting that? I want you to see it in the Bible. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come from far away. His disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We desire to honor you, Father, through our lives and your Son, Jesus, by the Spirit. And so help us now. As you drew the disciples to yourself, I pray you would draw people even today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Never give in. Never, never, never. And nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never, never yield to force. Never yield, never, never yield to the apparently overwhelmingly, overwhelming might of the enemy. That's a little excerpt from the speech from a man named Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was a great master of the English language and he used all kinds of devices. You can read his speeches and they read just as good as they sound. He used all kinds of rhetorical devices. But one of his favorite rhetorical devices was something called an epizeuxis. Epizeuxis. An epizeuxis. What is an epizeuxis? An epizeuxis is the repetition of a word or an idea or even an event. The repetition of a word or an event in quick succession so that you might make a point, an emphatic I'm introducing the idea of an epizeuxis because I think that's what 
the man named Mark is doing here. You read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find a story of thousands being fed several times. Two times in Matthew, two times in Mark, one time in Luke, one time in John. Six times in the Bible, you find a story of a multitude being fed by Jesus. Why? Why would Mark, in quick succession, from chapter 6, where he fed the 5,000, Jesus fed the 5,000 in Bethsaida, why would he, in quick succession, give us another story of Jesus feeding thousands? I mean, the stories are so similar. They are, they are obviously different stories and different accounts, although liberal theologians would tell you they want you to believe that he's just repeating himself. But Jesus, later on in the chapter, will reference both accounts in chapter 8. Why? Why would Mark include this second feeding of the thousands right on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000? So that, that's the question I started asking. Why? Why is it like this? If you're doing a Bible study, I'm thinking it through and thinking it through. And immediately in my mind, uh, Psalm 103 came to mind. I know you know Psalm 103. Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. That's why this is here. Because we forget. We forget how good God has been. You forget how good God has been to you. All the great provisions, all the wonderful protections, all the securities. We forget. This is here so that we don't forget how good Jesus is. When you read chapter 7, you get to the last verse of chapter 7. And there in the last verse of chapter 7, we hear the refrain, He does all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak, even. And this morning, what I'm hoping to do is take Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, another story about feeding thousands of people, and point out to you that Jesus, here's what I want you to hear, Jesus is good, and you can trust him. Jesus is good, you can trust him. Let's do what we've been doing, go back through the passage Join me there in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. I'm just going to, what we've been doing with these narrative passages, walking through, pointing out a couple of things, and then we'll come back after doing that, and then maybe make uh, a few points of application from the sermon. Join me there, verse 1. In those days, what days? In the days when he was in the Gentile region. He was not in a Jewish land, he was in a Gentile land called the Decapolis, the ten cities. He had been ministering there. For the Gentiles to see. In those days when again, Mark tells us that this is not the same thing that happened with the 5,000. This is a different story. There's another group of people, again, a great crowd. We know that it's 4,000. Matthew tells us that there will be some women and children there, so it could have been more. But here we have 4,000 people. They've gathered, and it turns out they've been there so long for three days listening to Jesus Teach. We don't know what he taught. Maybe this was the occasion of the Sermon on the Mount. We just don't know. They've been there three days listening. Wouldn't you like to have all of that content? What is it that Jesus was teaching for those three days? It was so enthralling that the people stayed. Even when the lunches ran out. 
They didn't have anything to eat. They weren't going anywhere. They were being sustained by what Jesus taught. And it wasn't their hunger that drove them away. It was their hunger that had Jesus doing a miracle. Jesus looks at him. We see him looking there. Verses 2 and 3. What a verse. Verse 2, if you, if you have it in your Bible, you've got a paper Bible, you have a pencil or a, a pen that doesn't bleed through, you ought to circle there in verse 2. I have compassion. You'll never hear that again come out of the mouth of Jesus. Oftentimes the gospel writers will tell us how compassionate he is, that he sees the crowd and they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. They describe his compassion. You never hear Jesus actually say it himself except right here. It's an unusual thing. Jesus says in verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd. And then he unfolds what is it that makes him feel for them. Don't ever think that Christ doesn't care for things that may feel trivial. Don't ever think that Christ doesn't care for the, the physical ailments we have. The, the, that which has caused compassion in him is their hunger. See, see it there in verse 2 and 3? I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and they've not eaten. And he looks forward. If, I, if they leave here, there's some of them that live so far away. It's verse 3. There's some of them that, that live so far away from here that they won't be able to stagger home. They'll fall out on the way. So it's not just what they're feeling now. He has compassion thinking about what they might would go through then. So as he's thinking this through out loud in verse 3, Verse 4, you ought to circle verse 4, because verse 4 is us, his disciples. Verse 4, and his disciples answered him. I can't believe this is what they said. This is what makes liberal theologians think, okay, there, there can't be two different occasions. How could they forget? Verse 4, you see it? And his disciples answered, how can one feed these people with the bread here with bread here in this desolate place. Now, it hadn't been that long ago. Just think of all the great things God has done in your life, all the ways that he has provided for you, and how often we actually forget. I think that's why this is here. Verse 4, I think, is the central verse. His disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So now Jesus draws them in. Verse 5, he doesn't just take from, uh, he doesn't take what's around. He asks the disciples. I think this is an important key to being a Christian, being part of the church. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, how many loaves? So they say, how can we do this? Jesus says, you give me what you have. How many loaves do you have? Isn't it inter interesting? Jesus could have just said, you know what, bread, and bread would have fallen. He could have done what God did in the, in the desert with his people when he brought them out of Egypt, just dropped manna on them. He could have done that. Instead, what do you have? Ask the disciples, verse, verse 5, how many do you have? They said seven. It's a perfect number, a complete number, just enough. He directed the crowd. This, this is different than the other one where he didn't have them sit down in groups like he did with the 5,000. He directed the crowd, just sit down where you are. <clears throat> directed the crowd, sit down on the ground, and I don't, know to, I don't know if I can do anything with this or not, but verse 21 has bothered me all week long because I haven't found anybody that can corroborate like that agrees with me on this. 
You know, if you have an original idea when you're studying the Bible, it's probably wrong. Right? I mean, you don't, you don't want to come up with some esoteric idea and think, okay, I'm the only one that's ever seen this. I, I saw one other person mention this, and all they were willing to say was the verb order is the same. I think the verb order is the same, but I'm going to make a point out of it uh, just because they said I couldn't. So here it is, all right? <clears throat> Notice it with me. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took, he took seven loaves, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. That feels a lot like this order of events in the Lord's Supper to me. We'll come back and talk about that. They had a few small fish. The fish are just added as an, as an afterthought here. That they've already blessed the bread and they're passing it out. And somebody says, oh, you know what? Wait, there's a, I had a fish in my pocket. I forgot. So they pulled the fish out. <laughs> and so they had a few small fish. And so Jesus says, okay, well, bless them and pass those out too. So he did that in, in verse 7. And the text tells us in verse 8, this is always the truth. When God works, when Christ feeds, verse 8, Mark says it very briefly, they ate satisfied. You know, when you operate your life out of a position of satisfaction, I'm satisfied. You ever learn contentment in Christ? It really does cut down the things that tempt you. Verse 8 says that they ate, they were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over. So they took up all, last time, remember they had 12 little baskets for the apostles. So all the apostles went home that day, had lunch for the next day. They left with a doggy bag that day. This is different here. The, the, the word for basket there meant a little small lunch pail. It's a, it's a different word, different word. The basket, the word basket here is the same word you would use to describe a clothes hamper, a big basket. This is the same word that describes uh, when Paul escaped Damascus and they, they lowered him down from a wall. They lowered him down in a basket the size that would hold a man. So there are these baskets, all of them big enough to have a cotton bale in it, and those baskets, seven baskets full of what God, through Christ, had provided. And then we see in verse 9, some uh, editorial comment, Luke tells us, there are 4,000 people, about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Verse 10 begins the end. Verse 10 begins the end. Immediately, got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. That's across the Sea of Galilee. We actually don't know where Dalmanutha is, except to say it's probably where uh, Mary Magdalene, it's probably where Magdala was. Uh, in it, what we do know, it's back in Jewish territory. Verse 10 is the turn. Less than a year, he'll be at the cross. Now, having all of that before us, what do we do with it? I'd like to offer up a couple of things. Here's the first one, number one. I want you to see that Jesus is on mission. Jesus is on mission. When you open up chapter 8, it begins, and for reference, we are now less than one year from the cross. We are, we are coming up to the end of the life of Jesus. At the end of this passage, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. He begins to trek to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. But for now, verse 1 tells us, in those days, what days? In the days where he was in the Decapolis. He was in Gentile region. 
And that little phrase, in those days, reminds us that Jesus is on mission to reach the Gentiles. Look, he's already teaching the He's already teaching the disciples that this message is for everybody. Back in chapter 6, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 happened in a Jewish territory, Bethsaida. What he did for the Jews, he now has crossed over into the Decapolis. He's doing that for the Gentiles. What he gave to one group of people, he's giving to another group of people. It's important for us to get this that it wasn't just that later Gentiles were being brought in. Jesus himself was the first one to go. It's important to see in verse 1 there are two groups of people. In verse 1 there are two groups of people. There's the great crowd where Jesus sees he has compassion on the crowd and there are the disciples that he calls to himself. There are two things to see. The great crowd where he ministered to the great crowd and then he brings the disciples close to himself. Two things that must go on in any church. It's the great crowd and discipleship. What about the great crowd? Well, there Jesus performs a miracle. That miracle will be feeding the 5,000. It will be so that people see his message has authority, that he has power, that he is Lord, that, that Jesus Christ is sovereign over all, and that Jesus is able to save. The ministry of Jesus is for the crowd. The crowd has a terrible need. Their physical hunger would symbolize their spiritual hunger. And Jesus is on mission for the crowd. That's why we do what we do. Why are we doing the 14th? Why are we doing the 28th? It's because the crowd. That's not all we do. We're not a church that's just trying to get as many people as possible. That's not all we do. There is another ministry that goes on in verse 1. The crowd is one group. Another group is the disciples. Do you see it in verse 1? The text says, In those days, then again, a great crowd had gathered. They had nothing to eat. So what does he do? The disciples. He calls the disciples to himself. This close group of brothers that are following Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, growing because of Jesus, who spent an intense time with the Lord Jesus. Now, it's not just we're trying to get people saved. We are trying to do that. But there's another ministry we do. That is seeing brothers and sisters in Christ growing. Look, if you're a Christian woman and God has brought you to Hickory Grove, our desire, my desire for you is that you become connected in a community group and in that community group find a discipleship group and there this becomes a natural way for you to grow in Christ, depth in the word, that you love the Bible more, that you sing the songs with emotion and with heart, that you trust that God is working in your life, making you stronger so that the sins you used to struggle with, you are getting victory over those. There is progress and growth in your life. That's one group, and then from that comes a desire to actually see those, the crowd, see them come to Christ. Jesus is on mission to grow you in grace and to reach people with the gospel. You used to say it like this in the 50s and 60s, a church is to know Christ, discipleship, make him known, reaching the world. It's what we want to do. Jesus is on mission. Two questions. <clears throat> And I'll move to the next point. 
One is, are you specifically, are you growing in Christ? If so, how are you growing in Christ? If not, why aren't you growing in Christ? And how can I help you start growing in Christ? And the second question is, are you part of the mission of Jesus? We gather together, worship is a privilege, everything else is a mission. Jesus is on mission. Let me give you something else about Jesus. Here's the second thing to notice, and that is that Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. Aren't you glad that Jesus is compassionate? I'm so glad he's compassionate with us. One of the most amazing things ever recorded out of the mouth of Jesus is right there in verse 2 when he looks at the crowd and says, I have compassion. You've probably heard the Greek words, splagnizo, it means guts, it means bowels, stomach. Jesus says, I, I look at them and I feel it right here. Yeah, I mean, you've known, even the Latin word, compassion, come is to be with, passion is to suffer, put it together, to suffer with. Oftentimes, Jesus is described at looking at the crowd and he has compassion for the very first time we hear it out of the mouth of Jesus. That, that, he, that he feels it. He looks at people, they are suffering, he feels that. And this is something for your own theology, for your own understanding of God, how Jesus views you. It immediately made me think, you know, I got this Bible preaching for a church in Oklahoma. Uh, that's how they paid me, the Bible. Which is actually great. It's a, I mean, it's a nice Bible. I love it. And I'm going back, I love it so much, I'm going back there in February, and I've already ordered the Bible I want. <laughs> if they're going to give me a Bible, I want to be able to pick it out. So I, I, got, it, I got this one in. February, so I started reading it, and so that means that I, I didn't start in Genesis back in February when I was reading. So now I'm going back through what I missed uh, in this Bible. I'm trying to mark it up, and I came up on Exodus chapter 2 last week. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, it's when uh, the people of Israel are trapped in slavery. And they're crying out to God, and, and what's amazing, listen to what... Listen to how God responds. Verse 24 and 25. <clears throat> God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. God knew. Put, put them together. God hears. God remembers. God sees. God knows. When you read verses uh, 2 and 3 and Jesus has compassion on them, you get a detailed account as to what it is that he has compassion about. And it's, it's their hunger. Verses 2 and 3, it just lays out and their detailed suffering. And what's interesting to me is, this, is the setting of that compassion. I mean, I mean, by now you've read or seen, probably seen, what's been going on in Israel and how Israel is being bombed and attacked and um, children being killed, how women are being abused and abducted. I mean, it, um, some of the images and the video coming out, and you look at that and you, I mean, you feel it. Or, 
reading through and get past the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and God is giving these rules to the laws to Moses. And in Exodus 22, verse 26 and 27, I was struck by how deep into the details God looks. Listen to what he told Moses. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, because he's cold, I'll hear it. For I am compassionate. But it's not just temporal that, that, that if, if Christ sees our hungry bodies and he's compassionate to that, what about the lost souls of people? It's not just a temporal that he's looking at and, and feels compassion for but the need of something physical, what about the eternal? I mean, don't forget now, after chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, and verse 11, he's going. He starts to march toward the cross. That, that's to deal with the eternal suffering. To give us the gospel. I mean, that is our hope. That's what we preach, that not just reaching people to clothe them. It's a wonderful thing to do. We want to reach people to clothe them so that they might know they need to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. The gospel. We preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel from the Bible teaches that God is holy. He created you in His image. The image of God, however, in us, in us all, is disfigured by our sin. That sin is, is a crime against God. It's not just putting you away from God. It's, it's actually, it makes us dead in sin, the Bible says. That we don't just need to get better we need some medicine. What we need is, is reviving. We need life. The Bible says that God is a holy and just God and will punish sin. That the wages of sin is death. That puts us in a bad spot. But God is compassionate. The Bible says all the way through that he's a compassionate God. That compassion is seen at its apex in the gospel. When Jesus comes and lives perfectly, it's important you know that he lived a perfect life keeping all the law of God that is a righteousness that he has earned to give you because your righteousness is filthy rags. And what happens at the cross is that Jesus takes the punishment. The wages of sin is death. He dies on the cross in the place of sinners. It's a great exchange. He takes your sin, gives you his righteousness. And the promise of the gospel is if you will turn, here, here, the gospel becomes yours when you say, I want that. I turn from my sin and I put my faith in Jesus. You see, this Jesus is on a mission. Come to, come to Jesus. He's compassionate. He, he, he's on a mission. He's compassionate. Let me give you a third thing. Number three. This story tells me that Jesus is patient. Jesus is patient. Aren't you glad that he's patient with us? Verses 3 and 4 is an amazing display, and it feels very familiar. Let me read it to you. Verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from, a, from far away. This is amazing, isn't it? And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, now think about everything they had seen. All the miracles that Jesus has done, all the demons that have been cast out, not to mention 
that just a few weeks ago he actually fed 5,000 people in much the same way. I mean, I read this and surely they hadn't forgotten. They've forgotten this? I don't think they've forgotten. I think this is what doubt does to us. There, every one of us here, we have had some sort of thing that God has done. He provided, He's helped, He's sustained, He's saved. And then we get in the midst of a crisis and we fall right into doubt. We're forgetful. We, we worry. How are we going to get through it? We're skeptical. It, it, it's amazing to me how quickly faith leaks. So, so many ways that Jesus has already worked, he's already provided, he's already saved, he's already protected. So many times he has come through and then we develop some strange form of spiritual amnesia. And Jesus is patient. He teaches. In fact, I think that's why this is, I think, I think the reason that the Holy Spirit led Mark to give it to us twice is we forget. Makes me want to quote uh, Psalm 103, 1, 2, 3, and 4 again. What does the psalmist say? Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. What are the benefits? He forgives your iniquity. He heals your diseases. He redeems you from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love. He crowns you with mercy. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is patient. Let me give you a third and then maybe a, no, let me give you a fourth and maybe a fifth point. Number four, Jesus provides. There's the miracle, verses five, six, and seven. You just can see it and go through it quickly. Verse five, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? He asked to use their resources. He did not need their resources, but they were going to have some stake in the game. He invited them to be a part. It's what Jesus does with us. He, he could save people. God could just speak it and it would happen. That's not how he does it. The gospel is given by people. The gospel is given by people who give their resources. Look, if you... Coming to Hickory Grove, you've been here for some time, and uh, you're not giving to the church. I would just say, just for your own soul, if you can't in, in good conscience give to the mission of Hickory Grove, the mission of the gospel at Hickory Grove, then you should go to a church where you actually can give. And it calls us in the mission, calls us to join him, and he uses what, what he's given us. He uses the resource of verse 5 or 6. He's going to perform this miracle. Verse 6, we don't even know where it is. I mean, it just shows up, the miracle in verse 6 when you read it. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Where's the miracle? Gave thanks, broke, and just started breaking the bread. Somewhere in there is the miracle. And then afterwards, there are going to be seven loaves. Or seven loaves are given in verse 6. And the one thing I wanted to get to is the I want to go back to the foreshadowing. When you look at the order of verbs in verse 6, it's very similar to the Lord's Supper, that he, he, he took the loaves, gave thanks, 
broke them, gave them out. When we read that story, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, gave thanks, and gave it to him. It's a, Mark may not have meant that, but it is a foreshadowing of Christ giving himself on our behalf. So every time you are provided for physically, so what time is it? It's 1044. Up to 1044 on a Sunday morning, you have provided. Every time you are provided for physically, it should immediately make you thank God for the provision he has given you spiritually. His eternal provision. So what have we learned today? Jesus is on mission. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is patient. Jesus provides. I'll give a quick fifth one. Number five. That is that Jesus satisfies. Satisfies. Verse, verse 8 is beautiful. It's written beautifully because it's so short. Verse 8 tells us they ate and were satisfied. They're going to pick up a whole lot extra but I want you to see they ate and were satisfied. I'll just say to you that God's provision for you in Jesus is enough. You know the testimony of uh, the Apostle Paul. It's familiar to a lot of you. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7, 8, and 9. This is what he says. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. It was a messenger of Satan to torment me, harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, this is what Paul says, and I would encourage you to do the same. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest on me, satisfied in Jesus. You see, what I've been trying to tell you this morning is that Jesus is good and you can trust him. With that on your mind this morning, would you join me now in a moment of prayer and commitment as we get ready to worship again through song. Join me as we pray. With your heads bowed this morning. God has spoken to your heart through the preached word and you want to trust Christ this morning. We're going to sing a song and as we do, that's a time where we would invite you to come forward. Pastors will be down front right down in the front pew if you want to talk to someone. If you're not comfortable with that, uh, certainly understand that. If you're not comfortable with that, after church, our pastors are out in the lobby and would be willing to talk to you about that and, and talk to you about what it looks like to give your life, to trust Christ with your life. Some of you here, when we sing today, you should just be praying and asking God to use you. How can you actually be part of the mission? What are the steps you need to take? Others of you, you've been coming for some time and you're not really growing, not growing in Christ, and now you, maybe this has rattled you a little bit. 
you want to grow in Christ, what are the steps you can take? We can help you with that. So this morning as we sing, God has spoken to your heart. We we'll invite you to come forward. Father, thank you for the word that is good. Thank you for your spirit that sustains us. We thank you that you have loved us, that you've called us to yourself. We pray, Lord, that you would find us faithful, that you, that you will use us for your own glory, that Christ will be lifted up at this church. We, we pray that you find us faithful on the mission, Lord, that you, will, that you will use Hickory Grove to reach people for Jesus. We lift this to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.